In this episode of the McBee Podcast, we listen in on the second session of the second day of the 2018 McBee Mentoring Meeting. Doctors Amy Bonomi and Chris Giddich discuss student dynamics and experiences in administrative roles. So we're going to move on to our next topic of managing others, not your IRB, but managing others. Um, and I, I was including manage, managing self because that is my di- most difficult other to manage. That'll be this afternoon's talk. Yeah. The energy, right? And the, um, the self care. So I'm I'm just getting from Ohio. Um, from, oh, from from Ohio University. Um, Nessa Amy, um, Bonomi. Uh, what we thought we would do is just each both make a couple of comments and then open it up um, to the group about what kind of challenges people have or questions people have that we might be able to. Um, glean information from others that that might be helpful. So I just have a, a, a couple of comments about um, managing teaching and just to give you just a little bit of, of background. So I just finished my 30th year at Ohio University and <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I really love to teach. Um, and so I really um, enjoyed it. My first decade of my career, I taught a lot. And then the second de- decade, I was had an administrative position. So I didn't teach any undergraduate classes. I just taught graduate courses. And then I went back to it 10 years ago after having a decade break. And I noticed you know, some changes. And it's funny, I always think, oh, the students have changed so much. But then like when I reflect upon it, I think probably I changed a lot changed a lot a lot too and I guess some of the things that I th- I think maybe might be helpful to discuss or to share with you like when I came back and over the years technology right has really really changed I mean I used to teach um, writing on a chalkboard um, using a transparency machine you might not even know what they are if we had handouts we used a mimeograph machine and so you you always had to go I always had to go into the bathroom before class to make sure I didn't have that purple goop on my face because it happened you know one too many times and so I think technology is a plus like I've enjoyed like trying to stay up with things and um, you know, adding, you know, podcasts or little videos or YouTube videos into my lectures and trying to use graphics um, in my PowerPoints and trying to do things to make it more engaging. You know, that's like the bu- buzzword. We want to engage our students so they can critically think. Um, and I think it's, it's helpful in some respects. On the other hand, I've also had the experience where students want the PowerPoints and they think it's then an online course, right? So they don't come to class as much. Um, I don't post my PowerPoints. They're my gift to my students, and I tell them that. If you come to class, I give them to you. If you don't come to class, don't bother me for them. Um, you'll have to get them from someone else. And, and I, I really try to stick to it. Now, of course, if I have a student who's ill and lets me know ahead of time, then, of course, I'm going to share, share it. But So I think it's kind of a plus and a minus, the, the technology email. Um, it was 1994 when we got email into our department. And I remember I was on maternity leave, and I came back, and everyone was talking about this email. And Honest to God, my thought was, I'll never use it. I still remember that. 
And then about two weeks into this email craze, and I'm looking in my mailbox for the memos, and I'm missing faculty meetings, right? I'm like, oh, I guess things are being sent on this thing they call email, right? And so, and once again, email, I find it a, a plus and a, and a minus. I think that on the one hand, it's a way to stay in contact with students. On the other hand, when I get emails that say, hey, Chris, sorry I can't be in class today. Um, you know, I went out late last night and just overslept. Like, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a plus. Or they'll ask, students will ask, or colleagues will ask for things that I don't think they'd knock on my door and ask for. And, and I teach a class in professional um, issues and ethics for graduate students, and I always tell them before you send an email, is this something that you could say to somebody's face, right? And if it's not, probably don't send it, right? Reword it, right? Because I think there's a comfort level, and it it's, it, it leads to like unprofessional um, behavior. So I see um, email as both a plus and a minus. Also, as a teacher, like I don't. As students expect me to answer their emails like immediately, and I I don't I try I'm not I, I try not to be tied to my email, and so I'll put something on my syllabus that you have to give me 24 hours to respond to an email. Now that doesn't mean I always take 24 hours, but I expect a little bit of leeway when they send me an email at three o'clock in the morning. You know, I might not get to it till noon the next day, or you know, I'm definitely not getting to it at four o'clock in the morning. And I, I try to set that expectations with my students from the very beginning. Um, and I always tell them, if you send me an email and I don't respond within 24 hours, please send me another one or come by my, you know, sometimes I do miss them. So I don't want them to think, I, you know, I'm blowing, blowing them off. So email, I find a curse and a blessing. Cell phones, the same way. Right, we have to deal with that in our classes and tell students to not use them. And I've not had a lot of problems with students using cell phones because I tell them the very first day, it's rude. And I don't think you're rude. And I hope you're not rude. And don't take your cell phone out and I won't take my cell phone out. And I tell people, if I bring my cell phone to class and I have a little vibration, I'm gonna be checking it. And that's rude. And so I don't tend to have a lot of problems with it, but I have a lot of colleagues um, that do. My husband's a faculty member. Um, he, he has a lot of problems with students and cell phones. I just make it, I try to make it clear that it's rude. Other issues with, um, with, with um, teaching, I find students have more mental health needs um, now, and I think there's even a little bit of a literature about that. And I think that's where I've, softened, I think, as a professor. I have my guidelines, and I try to be really, really firm. Um, but then I've realized that sometimes I have to listen to the student's story, right? Because the student's story becomes um, important. Um, I had a student for my final, we had a final presentation, and they had to hand in a paper um, at the same day that they did their pres they had two days to do their presentations Tuesdays and Tuesday and Thursday and the papers were all due on Tuesday and I have a really like pretty firm non-late policy and it was like the last like you know the last week of class I was actually going to blow off my 8 a.m. office hours I'm like nobody's ever there and then I thought well if anybody's going to be there it's going to be the day the papers due right so I get there 10 to 8, and this young man is, is sitting outside my door, looking like he's going to melt. 
and a student who came to class all the time, he came in and he was just like, I'm sorry, I'm graduating, I'm having so much trouble with anxiety, just about the future and um, going to graduate school. And he's like, I've just been obsessing about this paper all weekend and it's like almost done, but I just can't let it go. And I'm just like, and he literally was going to have a panic attack in my office, right? I'm not going to say, sorry, 10 points off for each day late, right? It's not, it's not the same situation. So I said, get it to me as soon as you can, if you want me to read it now or what you have. And I said, you can present on Thursday rather than, than Tuesday. Right, and you know, so I think teaching requires some flexibility. Now, on the other hand, if you tell me my paper's not done because I've been partying all semester and I'm a senior, I'm going to say ten points off, right, for each day that you're that you're late. And so I guess I feel like early on in my career, it was like ten points off. I'm not even going to ask your story, right? Like this is just the way it is. So I think I've gotten better at like listening to students' stories, and and I do see more students with mental health with mental health issues um, nowadays. More pressure on students. It seems like there's more students who have to juggle taking my class with working, you know, as the cost of tuition increases, right? I pegged a student last year as a real goof off. You know, he'd come to class every now and then, and I just formed this impression of him. And then the la one of the last days of class, I said, oh, you know, what are you going to do? And he was talking to me about what he was going to do. And he's like, you know, Professor Gittich, I'm sorry I missed so much of your class. He said, but, and this is a senior, he said, and he lived in a small town in rural Ohio. He said, this is the first year I really wanted to move out on my own. And I left my family and, you know, rent is really expensive. And he said, I've had to work in order to make ends meet. I've had to work 40 hours a week. And he worked 40 hours a week as a manager in one of our local in one of our local stores. And you know, that interaction like was a good wake-up call to me too, right? Like the student who's missing class, you know, isn't always it isn't always the goof off. Sometimes it is, but you know, it isn't always. And so I think I've tried to do a better job of listening to students and um, being, you know, aware of their needs, you know, outside of the classroom too. I think I've also seen, and many of you, um, you know, we're all from, a lot of us are from very different areas. When I first started teaching, psychology was a really, like, you had the discipline of psychology, and you had the discipline of criminology, and maybe you had public health. I think those boundaries have become a lot more diffuse, and we work in a much more interdisciplinary world, and so trying to incorporate an interdisciplinary perspective, like, into my classes, I think, has become more important. Um, in terms of other issues, like managing, I guess I wasn't sure managing others might be, you know, the toxic people in your environment. I don't know if that was sort of it. Um, that'll be my next 30 years where I'll have advice about that. <laughs> but I mean, to me, the toxic person often isn't going to go away. Um, and so I do my best to try to work with that toxic person. Sometimes it's almost impossible. But sometimes um, just being able to find something that you can connect with with that person. Um, when I was an administrator, um, I would give the toxic person some responsibility because I found that when that person was busy with things and felt that they were a part of things, 
um, they were less toxic because they wanted to be heard too. And they, at, at some level, they really wanted to fit in. And so that helped maybe a little bit. In terms of administration, if you're a good administrator and you like it, by all means, do it. Um, we need good, we really, really need good administrators. Um, we need um, good administrators across the board. We particularly also need good women administrators. In academia, I find there's very little training to be an administrator, you know, unlike business, right? Yeah, well, I was trying to give some people the benefit of the doubt. I thought they might have better universities than us. But, you know, so you have to learn, right, by doing and um, trial and error and by connecting with people who, who know what they're doing. If you are an administrator, um, make sure you get fair compensation for it and renegotiate your compensation. Um, I'll just tell you one quick anecdote, but I was the director of our clinical psych graduate program, and then I had a male colleague quite a few years ago who was the director of our experimental psych program. And over the summer, um, we got, I'll say dumped, it's more negative than it should be, but uh, a big administrative task, writing a report for our sections. The chair gave us that job. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess I am the head of the clinical section. You know, I should be doing this. And somehow, he, one day he came by my office and he said, oh, this report, you know. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't really planning on it. And he goes, well, the only thing that's saving it is the $4,000 compensation. And I was like, oh. <laughs> must be nice, right? Um, and so, you know, it was seen as part of my job, even though we had really analogous jobs, but for some reason, it wasn't seen as part of his job. So rest assured, I did get the $4,000 um, compensation, right? But you want to make sure that you're compensated for your efforts, and it doesn't hurt to check what other people in parallel positions are being compensated for, for their efforts. Um, the last thing is terms of balance. Um, I've heard a lot of people just informally talking about like how do you manage like teaching and if you're in positions research and administration. For me, I try to think of it over a course of a year, let's say, rather than a course of a week or two. So if my job is 40% research, 40% teaching, and 20% you know, service or other kinds of things, I just accept the fact that there are some semesters when I'm teaching two classes and maybe one's a new class that the research is not going to be 40% um, of my time. I'm not going to spend on it. And I think for me, the more the more I focus on the task at hand, then the more energy I have then to do the research when my time frees up. So early on in my career, if I wasn't doing research, I was fretting about not doing research. And then I wasn't getting the research done, nor was I getting my other responsibilities done, right, because I was fretting about them. The same thing with family. Like when I'm with my family, I try to focus on them and keep the email off and stay away from the computer and be mindful of why I'm, why I'm there. Now, I'm not perfect at it, but the other thing that, the last thing I'll say, don't stop laughing, but is that I, I've tried like, to frame things, and when I talk with my younger students or young faculty, is we just have to be good enough, right? We don't have to be perfect at everything, and we have to cut ourselves some slack and be kind to ourselves, which we'll talk about a little this afternoon. And um, you know, you all 
have training where you're, you know, you're, you're used to being the top at what you do, and you're, you know, are all well trained and very bright. But you know, there are times where you just you have to be good. You have to be good enough. And who the woman over there who said, and I cut back 50% of the time spending on my class, right? It, it it didn't make that much difference. It was a very very helpful comment. And I think the other thing we talked about is you know saying no to service. You know, we've never, I can't, I can't remember really evaluating somebody negatively for saying no to service, but I can remember having negative comments when someone really drops the ball on something they agree to do. So if you can't balance it all, it's probably better to say no. So anyway, sorry, I'm talking too much. Sorry,